Well, good morning. Again, my name is Craig, and I am the guy planting the church in Bloomington. Uh, it is a joy to be with you. Did you know that any church, uh, the first service, you are the most spiritual people? So uh, just pat yourselves on the back or high five the person next to you, and you are blessed to be here first thing in the morning. You are, you're doing that. That's great. I love that. Um, I, I'm, again, I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, this is a great church. Um, I love Pastor Steve, Pastor Paul, Pastor Ben. Uh, what great men who love Jesus, men of character, and they're hilarious at the same time. Uh, and you probably know that. So uh, anyway, so at 4th of July weekend, are you guys going to enjoy some fireworks today, maybe tomorrow? Hopefully it doesn't rain. Um, I have to confess, I have three boys at home. I've been married to my wife, Nikki, for almost 19 years. Um, our oldest, Hudson, is nine, and then we have twin five-year-olds, again, boys, identical twins, Graham and Ty. You can pray for me already, all right? And so when we say 4th of July in my house, my boys love to blow things up. They love fire. They love fireworks. So last night, I stayed at a hotel and uh, uh, had around 10 o'clock, I heard multiple firework displays. It was great right in my room there. So anyway, I love my boys. And uh, if you have kids, you know what that's like. But I say to my boys all the time, guys, did you know that daddy loves you? I do it all the time. Well, one time, this is recent, I said this to uh, one of our twins, Tyler, who's our resident goof, our resident comedian. I said to him, I said, Ty, did you know that daddy really, really loves you? Without skipping a beat, he said, yeah, 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 you love us, blah, blah, blah. And I just laughed hysterically because that's so Tyler. I think he gets that from his mom. But the more I thought about that, the more I thought that's just like us as we relate to our Heavenly Father. God, I know you love me. I know you say you love the world, blah, blah, blah. And we kind of become numb to God's love, don't we? We kind of just kind of tune it out. It's just blah, blah, blah. And because of that, because we really struggle to appropriate and experience the love of God, we struggle in our spiritual lives. It's like we have this disease called love deficit disorder. I don't know if there's a pill for that. I wish there was. But we struggle, don't we? We struggle with acceptance, And some of you, because you struggle accepting God's love for you, you look in the mirror, at best, you feel unworthy. At worst, you see yourself and you're like, who is this? Or you struggle with approval. Some of you struggle thinking that you have to earn God's love. You have to work harder if God's going to uh, approve of you. Have you ever been tired spiritually because you keep working and working and working for Jesus like a gerbil in a wheel? Do they still have gerbils, by the way, today? When I was a kid, we had gerbils. But have you ever felt that way? Not like a gerbil, but have you ever felt like you had to get God's approval? Or we struggle with apathy towards other people. Because we struggle to understand God's love for us, we struggle to understand God's love for other people, and so we struggle to like, feel love for others and understand that every person that God sees, every person that you lock eyes on, God loves. And because of that, a lot of us have a hard time sharing our faith, talking to others about Jesus, and I totally get it. Uh, this is like two years ago, I was on a plane to Atlanta, 
to a pastor's conference because someone had to do it. And I have one desire when I fly. Leave me alone. I have my earbuds in. I have, you know, my, my book. I have other things. And on this particular flight, sure enough, down the aisle came a woman, a 40-something woman, attractive, provocatively dressed, and I could tell she was a talker. And wouldn't you know it, on this flight, she sits right next to me. I'm like, great. You're like, what kind of pastor are you? (laughs) And uh, soon after takeoff, we get a little turbulence. I hate turbulence. No one likes turbulence. But I, I begin to hear this murmur next to me. And within a minute, it was a full-blown panic attack. This woman was freaking out. I mean, freaking out. And so the entire plane is staring at her. And because of that, they're staring at me. No one knows what to do. And finally, I turn, I turn to her and I'm like, can I help you? What do you do? I wasn't ready for what she said next. She said, can you hold my hand? Now, I'm a pastor going to a pastor's conference, happily married, mind you. I promise you in seminary, they did not teach me this. So I thought about it and I did the only thing I knew to do. I held her hand. And I said, do you, what, what can I do? And finally, a flight attendant came, gave her some water, Fortunately, the turbulence subsided, and she relaxed, and I took my hand back. And then a funny thing happened. This woman, this problem for me, began to open up, and she began to share how her mother was just put in a home because she couldn't take care of herself. Her favorite pet had just died. She told me how lonely she was. She went on and on and on and on. And all of a sudden, it's like the blinders came off. And for the first time during that entire flight, I began to realize this isn't a problem. This is a person. This is a person who God loves. And as I left that plane that day, I could feel the nudge of the Spirit. You ever have that nudge? And God saying to me, Craig, that woman is precious to me. I love her. But I was self-centered, and I struggled with apathy. So here's my question, because we struggle. How do we overcome this, yeah, God, you love me, blah, blah, blah. How do we overcome love deficit disorder? That's what I want to talk about today. And you're in a series here at Genesis called The Father Is. It's a series of attributes, because our God is awesome, And today I'm going to talk about love, because when we experience God's love, listen, everything changes. Did you know that? And today I get to talk about the Father's love. I'm actually going to focus on the person of Jesus Christ, because he's the perfect reflection of the Father. And we're going to look at two twin truths that will absolutely change us and help us to overcome our struggle with God's love. Are you ready to dive in? If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke 19, and we're going to see these truths emerge. So here's the first truth that you have to be convinced of if you're going to overcome love deficit disorder, and it's this, that Jesus really loves people. 
Like he really loves people and he loves us. And did you know he especially loves people far from him? Like he loves them. And in our story, we're going to see Jesus love on a notorious sinner. Now, to give you some backdrop, at this place in the Gospels, Jesus is on the precipice of going to Jerusalem where he's going to die on the cross and show the full extent of his love. He's going to die for us. Before he gets there, he comes to the ancient city of Jericho. And there he meets a very interesting person, the most interesting man in the world. Have you seen those commercials? That's this guy. Enter Zacchaeus. And with Zacchaeus, you're going to see a couple of observations related to Jesus' love for him. Here's the first one, that Zacchaeus, it's a problem, Zacchaeus is a world-class sinner. Like, he's a world-class sinner. And look at this in verse 2. This is in Jericho. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Now, did you know his name literally means pure and righteous? And you're going to find he's anything but. And it says that he was a chief tax collector and he was what? Wealthy. Now stop there. Now immediately he has two things working against him. Number one, he's a chief tax collector. That means he has a really bad job. Now, you might be thinking, Craig, I have a bad job. I have a horrible job. No, no, Zacchaeus had a bad job because he was a chief tax collector, meaning he oversaw other tax collectors in this region surrounding Jericho near a major trade route, meaning he was wealthy, and being rich wasn't the problem. It's that he was a tax collector, which leads to the second problem, the bigger problem. He was a crook. People hated Tax collectors. They despised tax collectors because they would line their pockets from their family and friends and neighbors for the Roman government who was in power from, from the Jewish people. And because of that, they were seen as traitors. This guy was despised. No one would have liked Zacchaeus. You put this together and you have a not so pretty picture of Zacchaeus. I like what Frederick Buechner says of him. He's a sawed-off little social disaster with a big bank account and a crooked job. I think he nails Zacchaeus. But then we see a second observation. Watch this. Watch Jesus' response to the sinner of sinners, to this person that no one likes. We see Christ's passion in his love for Zacchaeus because this sawed-off little social disaster couldn't wait to see Jesus. Like, it's incredible. And in verse 3, we see that he has another problem because he couldn't ride the rides, the roller coasters at King's Island because he was so short. And then we see in verse 4, so he ran on ahead and he climbed up a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. This is incredible. Can you picture this? The Jesus parade is coming through Jericho and this guy, this sawed off little social disaster who's too short to ride the roller coasters to King's Island, climbs up a tree to see him, this sinner by the way, some of you, if you grew up in church, are probably humming a song right now. <laughs> Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A... 
He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the... All right, you guys are beautiful. Let me tell you, you could probably do the worship up here. I can't. Um, but this, this sinner runs to see who? Jesus. Because Zacchaeus wants to see who? Jesus, this sinner, this outcast, this guy no one likes because he's a crook. And then verse five, like the the passion of Jesus jumps off the page. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. And I love this. I must, I must stay at your house today. For I'm going to your house today. This, listen, this is stunning. This is shocking. This should grab us because, listen, no one, I mean no one, would ever give Zacchaeus the time of day. And God in the form of Jesus Christ, the one who created the galaxies, the one who would die for Zacchaeus, loves him, a sinner, is stunning because then he invites himself to Zacchaeus' home. The only time in the Gospels that we know this, that Jesus actually invites himself to someone's house. You ever done that? I wouldn't recommend that you do that. But if you're Jesus, you can do that. He says, I must, no, no, I have to stay at your house. Friends, Jesus passionately loves people, even people far from him. And if you're here today and you're struggling with a sin, you feel distant, I have good news. Jesus really loves you. And he shows us this time and time and time Again, even at the end of this passage in verse 10, Jesus says, I came to seek and save that which is what? Lost. And Jesus spent his time hanging with the wrong crowd. At least the religious people thought that with prostitutes and and tax collectors like Zacchaeus and the demon-possessed and the dregs of society, which is why I love 1 John 4.10 when John says this, in this is love. Not that, We loved God, but what? He loved us, and he sent his son to be the propitiation or the sacrifice for our sins. And we saw this earlier uh, this morning during worship, verse 16. He sums it up well. He says, God is love. God is a God of love. God is loves people, and God loves you. Now, I know it's early. I know we're still getting the caffeine kicking in. But did you know that God loves you? No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what, you know, how unworthy you feel, God loves you. Brennan Manning like one of my favorite writers said this, my deepest awareness of myself is that I'm deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I've done nothing to earn it or deserve it. 
Isn't that awesome? And understanding that love makes all the difference. I hope, I hope you let that sink in today. Uh, by the way, that's why I'm planting a church in Bloomington. I'm planting Grace Church Bloomington uh, because God loves Bloomington. I hear this all the time. My wife and I just moved there. I hear this all the time. Bloomington is a beautiful place, and it is. But Bloomington is a very dark place. It's broken. And if you're a Purdue fan, you're like, I've been telling my friends that for years. It's a very broke place, correct? No, no. Listen, Bloomington is broken. Did you know Bloomington is a place of poverty and social injustice? Did you know that Bloomington is rated as one of the poorest cities in the state of Indiana in the entire country? Did you know that? It has a poverty rate of 39%. I was meeting with a local pastor this year, and I asked him, what's the biggest need of Bloomington? He'd been there for like 30 years. He said, Craig, the biggest need for Bloomington is its homelessness. I like fell off my chair at Panera. I'm like, are you, like I use here, dude, like homelessness, homelessness. It's a place of poverty, people struggling to make it. There are, there are homeless people in the city, around the city. It is a place that really hurts. And I want you to know this. Jesus loves Bloomington. That's why we're planting there. Did you know Bloomington is a place of great spiritual confusion? The vast majority of the 82,000 people that live there are far from God. It's full of skeptics. It's full of atheists. It's full of people who've been burned by religion. It's full of people who are struggling to believe anything. And so uh, my wife, for instance, just met with a woman from Afghanistan. Her, her husband is a professor, just uh, got uh, a job at IU. And my wife texted her to reach out to her. And she said, nobody has ever wanted to be my friend. And my wife met with her yesterday and was able to share the gospel with her. But listen, Bloomington is full of women like this. It's full of people far from God. Listen, Bloomington is a broken place, but we believe this. Jesus loves the people of Bloomington. That's why we're going to Bloomington. And what compels me every day, why I'm doing this, is because I believe to my soul, God is a God of love, and God wants to transform the people of Bloomington. Why? Because God loves what? He loves people. He loves us, and he loves people far from him. That's the first truth. But there's a second truth. He loves people, but God wants to change lives. His love wants to do something in us. Jesus loves to change lives. And what you're about to see is this sawed-off little social disaster, Zacchaeus, is about to forever change. He will never be the same again. Now they're at Zacchaeus' home, having some burgers, watching his HD. Verse 8 says this, But Zacchaeus stood up, and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And you're like, what is that all about? Zacchaeus is a different dude. Zacchaeus has been changed. We know that for two reasons. He's been transformed. Number one, he's giving to the poor. 
And right before this story, there's this guy called the rich young ruler. I don't think that's what they called him around. Like, hey, did you meet the rich young ruler? But there's this guy with lots of money. And Jesus said, if you want to like, come into my kingdom, give all your possessions away. And he said, I can't do that. What does Zacchaeus do? This sinner, this person far from God, he gives like half his possessions away like that. And then the second thing we see is it says he does fourfold restitution. According to Jewish law, if I took from you, if I robbed you, I would, I would have to give back the full amount plus one-fifth on top. Does that make sense? That's what my obligation would have been. What does Zacchaeus do? Four times. He gives four times back. He gives above and beyond. Why is he doing this? Because Zacchaeus has been changed. The love of God has met Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus is a different person. And Jesus then says, today salvation has come to this household. He has been saved. He has been transformed. Listen, this story makes it clear that God loves people and that Jesus Christ loves to change lives. That God is a God of love. Maybe you're here and in your life is someone you think is like a lost cause. You ever been around someone you're like, oh, that person will never change? Or maybe there's someone in your life, a friend or a, a neighbor, a coworker who's a skeptic and they're antagonistic towards the faith and you're like, what's the use? Or maybe you'd like to invite him to Genesis and, and invite him to your home, but you're kind of scared. And this story should encourage you because Jesus changes lives. It's why the truth of John three sixteen, the football verse, Remember when they used to put up the, the signs, John 3, 16 at, at ballgames? And if you've grown up in church, like I, I grew up in church, you, you heard this a million times. But have you ever thought about this? For God so, he didn't just love, he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's a stark reminder that God loves people and that he alone is in the business of changing lives. That reality speaks to not only why we're planting a church in Bloomington, but also to the vision of what we're doing. I am so excited to go to Bloomington to, to start this new work. Our vision, we say it this way, we're, we exist to transform the streets of Bloomington with stories of God's grace through a multiplying uh, movement of passionate people. And, and I'll just kind of break that down for you. We dream of transformation. Like We think that Bloomington should never be the same again because of the body of Christ and because of the kingdom. And so in Jeremiah 29, 7, it says that we are like exiles and that we're supposed to like live for the betterment of a city that we're in. And we believe that. We think the gospel should intersect government and, and medicine and education and poverty and reach the LGBTQ community. We think the gospel should change Bloomington, and we're there to see transformation. That's why we're going. 
And we also want to see, like, not just transformation, but we want to hear stories of God's grace. We want to reach the lost, the absent, and the unfulfilled. We want to reach prodigals who are wandering far from God. I want to reach the dude that has tats up and down his body with piercings everywhere that hasn't stepped foot in a church for 25 years. I want to see that guy come to Jesus. And I want that couple on the verge of divorce fighting all the time, house in disarray. I want that couple to meet Jesus and be turned upside down. And I want to meet that Greek student who gets hammered every Friday night at Kilroy's to be baptized. And as that person comes out of the tank, their arms are raised in victory. I want to see that again and again and again. We want to hear stories of God's grace. Wouldn't that be amazing? And we also dream of a multiplying movement. And Steve alluded to that here. Uh, we want to see disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Uh, one of our core values is that we want to be a church planting church. In the years to come, we want to start dozens and dozens of churches. As a matter of fact, uh, as we start this church, we're going to plant with two church plant residents, and even now on our staff team, John Crawford and Luke Wayner, who's with us today. Uh, these two guys are amazing young guys, leaders, who are going to, in the next two years, plant churches. And we're going to send them out to plant churches. And even though we're a, a church plant, because we believe in it, we want to see Bloomington transformed with stories of grace through a multiplying movement of passionate people. But here's the deal. We need your help. We need your help. We need people to do two things, okay? We need people to share, and we need people to serve. Now, first of all, we need people to share. What I mean by that is one of our biggest needs right now is we need to like be introduce ourselves to the community. Like for instance, my wife and I just moved, we love Bloomington, and we're meeting everyone we can. But no one knows who we are. No one knows this church. And so we need people to tell others about Grace Church Bloomington. So uh, there are two ways you can help with this. Number one, if, if you have friends, family, coworkers, or even students living in Bloomington, tell them that we're coming. Uh, you can text them, email them, Snapchat them, Facebook them, call them, do whatever it takes. Students are like, what is that? Like, I just Snapchat. Do, let them know that we're coming. But you can also do this. Provide us with the names of friends and family. We don't want this to be weird, but if you know someone that you'd love to connect us with, give us their names, we will do that with great grace and dignity. It won't be weird. We'd love to connect with them, but we need people to share about what we're doing and let them know that Grace Church Bloomington is coming. Now, listen, if you have a student going to IU, we'd love to talk to you as well. If you're a student going to IU, we'd love to talk to you. Help us start a life-giving church in Bloomington. But there's another way you can help. You can serve. You can serve. Uh, we need people to help us build the foundation for Grace Church Bloomington. Right now, we have about 30 adults, many of whom are from Grace Church, right, in 146 in Noblesville, who are going to go with us and help us get this church off the ground. Now, you don't have to move to Bloomington. Now, if you want to, it's a great place, all right? We'll get some Mother Bear pizza, you know, watch some IU games, but you don't have to move there. Uh, you can commute with us for a season, um, 
and you can drive down, and again, you can help us for a few months get this church off the ground. Because listen, Bloomington needs Jesus, and we want to see its transformation. And I promise you this, if you give us, if you give us just a few months, you will help change the world because there is nothing like planting a church. See, Peter Wagner said famously, the greatest way of spreading the gospel is by planting more churches. You will help spread the kingdom. So if you're interested, talk to me in the lobby. Uh, we have banners, uh, signs at, at a kiosk back there. Luke will be there. I'll be there. We'd love to talk with you, give you some information. But we'd love to meet with you and share more about our vision. Our God is a God of love. Listen, no matter what you do today, remember this. Our God is a God of love. He loves people, and he loves to change people. No matter what you're struggling with, if it's approval, if it's an addiction of some sort, if it's acceptance, or even if it's apathy, know this. God loves you. I want to close with a story. It's actually a tragedy that took place in Bloomington uh, not that long ago. On May 12th, right after Mother's Day, right after IU's graduation, a young woman named Sheridan Halloran took her own life. And let me give you some of the backstory on Sheridan. Sheridan was a 22-year-old woman she was born in Indianapolis. She attended Bloomington South High School. She just graduated from IU, had just graduated from IU. Had all of her future ahead of her. She was incredibly gifted, had a bright future ahead. She graduated with a 376 GPA. She was selected as one of six Fulbright English Assistant Fellows. This summer, she was supposed to teach English in South Korea. She had a bright future ahead. She was gifted in so many ways, artistically, athletically. Um, this was an incredible, incredible young woman. But on May 12th, she took her life. And I read the end of her obituary. It just broke my heart. It says this. Sheridan had a wicked sense of humor. She was delightfully quirky. She was exceptionally good with the old and young. She tutored struggling readers and supervised other tutors. Sheridan's left behind communication evidence that she had struggled mentally for years and wrongly believed there was no hope for her to ever feel or think any differently. She wrote that she had never been honest with anyone about how deeply she was hurting. And then it says this, and this broke my heart. She's survived by her heartbroken family and friends, her parents, Jennifer and Kevin Halloran, her sister, Delaney, her brothers, Griffin, Riley, Evan, and Aiden, and her grandparents, George and Phyllis Halloran and Terry Halloran and Jim Weikert. It's a tragedy. I don't know all the reasons why this, this precious, young, talented woman took her life. It's a tragedy. My heart goes out to her. I'm sure your hearts go out to her. You feel for her family. But I can't help think this. This is why we must experience the love of God for ourselves. This is why we must share the love of God with other people. And I can't help but wonder what would have happened if a community of faith had surrounded Sheridan 
and put their arms around her and said, you're not alone. God loves you. I don't know. We'll never know. Listen, it reminds us that there are people all around us, even in this room, who are struggling. They have no hope. They're hurting. And the question remains, what will you do? We all struggle with love deficit disorder. As Brennan Manning said, I'm deeply loved by Jesus Christ. I've done nothing to deserve, nothing to earn it. And friends, may that reality change us today. May that change us forevermore. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we declare that we struggle with this amazing truth that the Father is love, that you love us. You love us despite of our, our sins and despite us. And you love people and you love to change people. And Lord, help us today. Help us to experience that in some way, shape, or form. Awaken us to your love. And may that change us forever. And Lord, we pray that the gospel would move forward from our lives through this church and even in this new baby work called Grace Church Bloomington. Lord, we love you. We pray that we would be changed. We pray the world would be changed by your love. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said.